0: Welcome to episode 152 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This time around, we're looking at season 7, episode 3, Hungry. It was actually the first episode filmed in the season, but it has minimal presence of Mulder and Scully. It's a bit unusual in that this episode is definitely from the perspective of the monster of the week, and this is a monster who's trying very hard not to be the monster that his biology compels him to be. The episode originally aired on November 21st, 1999. The action primarily takes place in California. The IMDb user score is 8.1 out of 10. Vince Gilligan wrote this one as a parody of the self help and the motivation movement that was really building then hasn't completely gone away, but it's abated somewhat from the peak it had in the late 80s and early 90s. So, this is the story of Robert Rob Roberts, which sounds like a fake name, we'll get to that. And he's a mutant who has a compulsion to eat not just meat in general, but specifically human brains. And it's something that he's trying to fight. He's got the self-help tapes. He's got diet pills to help suppress his appetite. He's doing what he can to control it and trying to binge on other foods and things like that. But in his job working at a restaurant, specifically a fast food restaurant, he is there alone when he encounters a very demanding customer who could have been much more polite, and he gives in and eats him. And as far as we know, that was the first of his victims in this fashion. By the time the episode is done, he's up to, well, several more. One of his co-workers figures out that he's the one who did it, because he obtained some evidence that was left at the scene, and is using it to blackmail Rob since he lost his job once people were doing background checks in this murder investigation and found out he was an ex-con. So Derwood Spinks becomes the next target. His landlady Sylvia is also a target. Steve Kiziak, a private investigator who didn't like having any attention paid to him, is another victim. And ultimately, Robert Really commits Mulder assisted suicide. Mulder and Scully come in when he's about to give in to his urges and attack and kill the psychiatrist, who genuinely seems to actually have some understanding and want to help him. He just doesn't want to live with that on his conscience, knowing that he can't fight this biological imperative any longer. So once he's an established threat, he moves to attack Mulder and Scully. Charging at them when he probably could have used his proboscis from a further distance. So he deliberately rushed at Mulder, knowing that Mulder would defend himself with lethal force, since the guns were already drawn, specifically to end the threat of himself. When I first saw this in the original broadcast, I wasn't all that thrilled with it. I think the lack of Mulder and Scully. Felt like it was missing a key component of the series to me. Watching it again for the podcast when I'm looking at it with a little more of an analytical perspective, I can appreciate what they're doing, taking it from the perspective of a monster who does not want to be a monster. It does push it in a new direction. So I appreciate it more. And in reading about it after the fact, I've learned that director Kim Manners didn't think this was a very good one. He actually thought it was a a stinker, but it was one he was assigned to, so he did the best he could with it. While Vince Gilligan, the writer, was quite happy with it, and was ultimately happy with the way Kim Manners directed it. But I'm personally wondering if maybe that's a part of it, because when I'm watching something just for pure entertainment, the direction is the most important component. When I'm watching more from an analytical perspective, the writing becomes even more important. Not to say it's unimportant. You can use bad direction to destroy a good script. But if you've got a bad script, the best direction in the world is not going to fix it. If you don't have a good script to begin with, you cannot produce good product. So writing is always important, no matter what. But this is a case where, you know, it's just the ebb and flow and the tug of war between writing and direction. And I think viewing it again from an analytical perspective later, the writing becomes a bigger factor. In terms of the guest cast, we have Chad Donella as Robert Roberts. He's also known for Hate Crime, Shattered Glass, Final Destination, and Disturbing Behavior. Now, Final Destination had Devin Sawa in the lead, but that was a Morgan and Wong film. And we talked about Morgan and Wong. They'd worked on the series previously. They moved on to Space Above and Beyond, which they co created. So I'm wondering if maybe they brought him over to Final Destination after talking to people here and learning that connection. Now, Mark Pellegrino is the one who plays the ex-con, Derwood Spinks, in this one. He also stars in Mulholland Drive, The Big Lebowski. Supernatural, where he plays Lucifer in 32 episodes, and Capodia's Dick Hickok. He's got 127 credits to his name. Now the guest star that jumped out at me on the initial viewing is Judith Hogue. She plays the psychiatrist who makes that connection. She is also known for her work in Armageddon, I Am Number 4, Hitchcock, And the one that jumped out at me, she was April O'Neil in the original live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie from 1990, role she took actually on Robin Williams' recommendation, because Williams was a huge fan of the source material. They were working together on Cadillac Man. Now, Bill Lee Brown plays the boss in the Lucky Boy fast food restaurant. He's also known for Mob City, Baggage Claim, Third Rock from the Sun, and Outpost, Gun to a Gunfight. Jason Hampton is the rude and hungry customer. He's only got 16 acting credits to his name. He was Elliot in an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, specifically the puppet show, prior to this. He was in the Rules of Attraction, he was in MMC, and this role on the X-Files is the second on his IMDb also known for credits. And he's the guy who's dead before the teaser's done. So it looks like he had a bit of a healthy career in TV and movies, but now he may be doing other things. I don't know if it's stage or whatnot. His most recent credit is a video from 2013. Prior to that, it's from 2002. Now, Lois Foraker has a IMDb listings that goes back to Dirty Harry in 1971. She was Lieutenant Abel, In MASH, as well as Lieutenant Bell and Lieutenant Denver. But Abel is one the one role that she had in multiple episodes of MASH. She came back as Nurse Coleman in After MASH. But she was also in Murder She Wrote, Night Court, Gremlins, Child's Play 3, The West Wing, and also Third Rock from the Sun. She plays Sylvia Jassy in this. In her 55 credits, The X-Files is one of her most recent. After this, she did an episode of The West Wing, Hide and Seek as a short film, and then a pop cowboy video as Frankie's mom in 2012. Now, Carrie Zook plays Lucy in this. She has got three acting credits. This is her third and final acting credit listed on the IMDb. She was the first female victim in The Harvest in Buffy the Vampire Slayer and a waitress in an episode of USA High. But she also has three producer or associate producer credits for The Devil's Arithmetic, Harlan County War, and Written in Water. Her most recent credit is the year 2000. Now, Steve Kiziak is not just the name of the character who was the private investigator that was killed, that's the name of the actor who played him. He's only got three acting credits. X-Files being his oldest credit, he appears in three episodes, this is the first, and he would later appear in an episode of Cold Squad and in Scary Movie 4. He's been stand-ins on The Cult, X-Files I Want to Believe, the upcoming movie we need to discuss, Lying to be Perfect, Paradox, Messages Deleted, and Becoming Redwood. He Also, did a few stunts for the A team. As far as the IMDb is concerned, that's his complete filmography. Kevin Sloan has 33 credits to his name. This is his first. He's gone on to, according to Jim, Enterprise, General Hospital, Dodgeball. So he is still working today. And the final one to point out is Susan Sloan. She's the woman who's speaking at Overeaters Anonymous. When she first appears, She is still working today, 53 credits to her name, going back to 1996. A lot of these credits don't have names to them. There's writer, party mom, meter maid, woman, that sort of credits. So she's had a few low-profile parts in some very high-profile projects, including Dangerous Company, Grey's Anatomy, Friends, and House M.D. So as a piece of entertainment, it's good if you're looking for a break from the ordinary in the X-Files. I might have appreciated it more if this hadn't been the first regular episode back from the summer hiatus. If it was a little bit deeper in the season, I would have enjoyed it more, I think, in the first viewing. When the series had just come back, I frankly just wanted more of Mulder and Scully than we got this time. As for the science behind it, There's a lot of questions that could still be viewed and dissected here. I do like the perspective that there is a biological imperative here, and just because he's doing things that would be classified as evil, he's not necessarily evil himself. This is what his biology says he needs to do to survive. I mean, Is he really that much different than the customers at Lucky Boy who are feeding on other animals, like I do? I'm the guy who agrees with Gordon Shumway. Salad isn't food, it's what food eats. But I'm not necessarily ready to say that, yeah, if he's got the hunger and that's what his biology means, that makes him evil. And I think that's a big part of this. It's his compulsion, and that's how it's spoofing the self help and the motivation system. The Robert Roberts name does sound like a fake name, but that just makes me question his origins when he says to Mulder repeatedly, it's just me, there is no mom or girlfriend or father involved, it's just me, does that mean he is the only one of his species? And if so, which is he? Is he shark? Is he human? Because this does seem to be a human-shark hybrid creature. He's got the shark teeth. He's got the proboscis. This is a massive mutation. It's way beyond what I think we can expect. So, I mean, is this a heavily mutated human being who doesn't have a mother and father anymore because maybe they were earlier victims of his before he learned some degree of self control? Is he the offspring of sharks who came in that way? There's just so many questions about how he exists to begin with that the science is very difficult to evaluate. If we take the existence of this creature for granted, then from there it works. The question is, how do we get there? How did he get the wig and the contact lenses and the fake ears he used to disguise himself? It's not like he could just walk into a costume shop and buy the stuff in his regular appearance. There's just so much that's needed to get to the status quo when this episode begins, that if we start to really analyze the science of how he's created, there's just not enough to work with but there's a lot that needs to happen before we can get to that initial status quo. In any event, that's all we have to say about Hungry. Join us again in two weeks' time when we take a look at Millennium, which is actually a crossover episode, wrapping up the unfinished story after Chris Carter's Millennium was cancelled at the end of Season 3 on a cliffhanger. Thank you for listening.